Hello everyone and welcome back to Picard Cast. Tonight I'm your host Rebecca and I'm joined as I am every week by the lovely Brooke. Welcome back, Brooke. Hi. Thanks How for having you? me back. Oh no. <laughs> I know. Every week it's like I'm not sure if we're gonna be back together, <laughs> but then we yeah, we just do it. So <laughs> Uh, I guess I'm all right, you know, still got uh, the plague and all, so. <laughs> yeah, I know, um, I'm not with that. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm still working from home, but you went back to your office. Yeah. You were I, in the healthcare industry. That's right, I am in the healthcare industry, so I am actually back at my office full-time, five days a week. Um, that's just one of the hardest things I've ever had to do after being home for like a good number of uh I, I was home I guess like like for like about a whole month or so, mm-hmm. maybe even a little bit more. But now, you know, back at uh back at work full time and mm-hmm. uh still wearing a mask because, you know yeah. still being careful, washing my hands, wearing the gloves because can't be too careful out there. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. So that that's that and you know Everything's terrible, but you know what? We we have we have Star Trek. <laughs> we have Star Trek to talk about. So I'm very excited because we're still in our personal logs journey, mm-hmm. and we're joined uh, tonight. Uh, of course, we have a guest. We always have a guest. Uh, we're joined by our good friend, who I don't think we've had you on since we met you at C2E2. Stephen Stephen. Stephen. Stephen <laughs> Farshit is back. I totally messed up your name. No, no, no. I, I often go by Stephen, so it's Sorry. Totally... <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> blah, blah. I had to work late. I'm Only my blame... close friends call me Stephen, so. Oh, good, good, good. I'm going to blame that on the fact that I had to work late and I had a long weekend and was didn't get a lot of sleep, so I'm going to blame it on that. All the other things I do wrong, I don't know what to blame that on, but that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Welcome back to uh, Picardcast. Well, thanks. I'm really, really excited to be here. It's uh, definitely my favorite show to be on, and, and I have a blast Aww. doing it because you guys talk about something that I absolutely love. So I love Aww. coming on, and I love the show, and, and I'm thankful to be here. Awesome. Yeah. So That's great. Thank you. Now, have we – I don't think we've talked to you since – uh, ha- have we gotten your thoughts on the whole series of Picard since since we last spoke to you? I don't think so. No, the, I was on episode uh, seven of Picard that that is last funny. time. That was the last time we talked about the uh, the series, and we hadn't talked about you know how it wrapped up and and what my feelings are. And, yeah, so like and in a, in like a you know a quick little brief nutshell overall thought for the season did you did you like it overall love it hate it lukewarm what'd you think okay so i'll say i liked it if that's those are my options um loving it i think would would be a little bit of an overstatement i i like anything star trek i like anything new content star trek so i'm not the kind of person that's going to go online and bash discovery and bash picard and bash everything that's oh this isn't canon and all that stuff it doesn't matter to me Especially if I'm, I'm seeing Sir Patrick on the screen and uh, some characters that I've loved since I was a kid. I mean, there's, there, I cannot complain. Um, there are definitely episodes that I absolutely loved. Uh, and then there are uh, episodes that I was like, eh, I, I kind of wished it would have gone a different direction. Uh, episode 8, I believe. 
I mean, I'm, I'm jumping up and down out of my seat. I'm screaming. I'm like, yeah, you know, this is what I'm waiting for. And I was kind of hoping that energy had carried over to 9 and 10. Uh, it didn't for me. Um, there were some problems, in my opinion, with the ending. Uh, mm-hmm. But once again, that that, that might, I might just have to, you know, attest, attest that to the fact that it didn't follow my own personal headcanon. And that's not fair. You know what I'm saying? Just just because it didn't go the way I had thought it would have gone or wanted it to go, it's not really fair to, to pick it apart and judge it. So I, I liked it as a whole. Um, I felt like uh, you know there was a nice good build up to it. Uh, I liked how they were picking up steam. Kind of wish the momentum had it kept going into the finale, but overall I'm still excited about season two, of course, and uh, I liked it. Okay, I think that's a pretty fair review. Um, yeah, I think that's very balanced. So I, I do appreciate that you said that you're not the, the, the kind of guy to get on line and, and bash something just because it's new, you know, uh, you know, i.e. Discovery or Picard. Um, and certainly I think we all have our own headcanon of where we think things are going to go. And of course, the show will do its thing, its own, you know, path, of course. Um but I, I'm glad you're excited for season two, as as are we. We're also very excited yeah. for season two. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So uh, tonight we are going to be doing um, the first of a two-parter. Um, we, we liked the idea of this episode so much, we said, Steve, how about you come back and do part two next time? So... Uh, <laughs> We are t- tonight we're covering Year of Hell Part One, which is uh, season four, episode eight of Voyager. So we're back to Voyager after our last episode with Nicola, and uh, we're back to Voyager. So t- tell me, Steve, why why this episode? Why why Year of Hell? So when we started, you started putting out information of, of doing this during the off season, talking about our favorite episodes. I thought, well, let me pick a Voyager episode because I, uh, now Voyager is kind of neck and neck with Enterprise with me. I know that might be blasphemy to a lot of people, but I knew that a lot of people wouldn't pick a, a Voyager. Uh, clearly, I was wrong because you've already had one, but but <laughs> I I wanted to do a Voyager episode, and I chose the episode uh, or the two-part of the story arc of Voyager that I feel is the most accurate the most what it would be like if voyager if there was a federation ship cut off from the rest of the federation out on its own 70 years away from earth or from federation space and what that struggle would look like and when i first watched this episode i said this is what i was expecting from the beginning Mm -hmm. not that i disliked any of the other stuff but to me when I watched that year, uh, year of Hell Part One, I said okay. And and the first time I saw it, I, I didn't know if it was just going to wrap up or whatever. But to me, I was really as soon as I saw it, I was like, okay, this is finally like a five episode arc that I'm about to watch. And I was really pumped up about it. And uh, you know, it was still very satisfying to me, even though as you know, spoiler alert, it all wraps up in two episodes. But uh, I. I this this episode has some of the themes in it that I really really feel like what would the reality be if Voyager was was a real situation. So that's why I chose this. Oh, I I actually really like 
that uh, I actually really like that uh, reasoning a lot because mm-hmm. um, d- definitely as you watch Voyager, they do um, they do have their moments where they're kind of like, we've only got one dilithium crystal, now what do we do? But but then there's also plenty of time where it seems like they've got plenty of resources and, oh, everything's great. The food, we got all this food, the replicators are great, they've got plenty of fuel, there's no problems, and it's like, huh, that seems a little, you know... Uh, easy, but uh, the, the, these two episodes definitely um, show Voyager kind of at its worst. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, yeah. We'll we'll get into that more on the next episode, but we'll definitely start talking about it here as we go into uh, Year of Hell Part One. Um, so uh, let's talk a little bit about this episode. Um, this episode was directed by Alan Croker. I hope I'm saying that name uh, cor- correctly. Um, and he has done, um, I mean, he's kind of directed a little bit of everything, mostly TV stuff. Um, and uh, if you've watched anything that's been within the pop culture um, arena, you've probably seen an episode of something he's directed, uh, as well as 13 episodes of Enterprise. So definitely part of the Star Trek family here. He also uh, directed the finale of Deep Space Nine. Oh, look at that. Okay, so yeah, he's definitely in the Star Trek family. Yeah. Uh, This episode was written by, even though there's like lots of writing credits for like Gene Roddenberry and the guys who created the show, um, it does say written by Brandon Braga and Joe Minoski, another two very familiar Star Trek writers' names uh, to our fandom. And uh, the synopsis is, Voyager comes across a Krenum timeship that's wiping whole species from existence to change the existing timeline. Oh, boy. So uh, we'll just go over the cast here real quick. Um, of course, we have our regulars. We have Kate Mulgrew as Captain Janeway, Robert Beltran as Commander Chakotay, Roxanne Dawson, who also actually directed a lot of episodes of, of Enterprise. Um, she became a director later on in her career um, as Lieutenant Bolana Torres, Robert Duncan McNeil as Tom Paris, Ethan Phillips as Neelix, Robert Picardo as The Doctor, Tim Russ as Tuvok, Jerry Ryan Seven of Nine, uh, Garrett Wong as Ensign Harry Kim. And then we have two uh, main guest stars. We have uh, John Lopriano as Obrist. But the big name here is Kurtwood Smith as Anorax. And uh, for everyone that's watched um, that 70s show, uh, you know who Kurtwood Smith is. <laughs> he's, uh, he's the dad on that show. I mean, I think Red killed it here, man. As soon as I saw Red, like Space Red, yeah, I was like, "Oh man, this is this is gonna be great, man!" And he was perfect for that role, and, and from start to finish. And I don't know, I think Space Red really, really uh, made this this episode for me. <laughs> no, he's he's definitely uh, a standout here. He's also appeared in uh, a Star Trek: Deep Space Nine episode as a Cardassian, and mm-hmm. he was also in. Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, as the president of mm-hmm. the Federation. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah, he's been did, around. Didn't Star he play Trek. a Klingon once? You know, I think he did. I think he did. 
did play a, a Klingon once. I got these little factoids off of Wikipedia because I'm yeah. not that smart. But I, I do think <laughs> that he did also play a Klingon. Um, he's like... He's like, uh, you know, the actors, like character actors or whoever that you see on like all the CSIs or Law and Orders or something. Mm-hmm. Um, just He's just been in so many different types of Star Trek shows. <laughs> I mean, and you can tell he's a fan. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I, I always get excited when there's a guest star who's also a fan yeah. of Star mm-hmm. Trek. It, it gets me very excited on... Um, when I saw Discovery and I, Rain Wilson ha- plays Harry mm-hmm. Mudd on on Discovery, it got me so excited because Rain Wilson is like the biggest Star Trek fan <laughs> on the planet, next to my, us, of course. My favorite <laughs> though, <laughs> my favorite though is uh, Mae Jemison because she's an actual astronaut. Yes, mm. that is probably the absolute best guest star. Mm-hmm. On Star Trek, an actual astronaut was mm-hmm. on Star Trek. She actually was in space. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, I, she I has mean, been. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that sentiment, and that's an awesome thing. But if you're going to tell me that The Rock wasn't the best guest star in all of Star Trek, I'm going to have more. Oh, <laughs> the Rock. I mean, yeah. Listen, The Rock hasn't been to space. Uh, are you sure? But are you he sure? probably because has his own has. orbit. I think he has. <laughs> I mean, at this point, he might have been to space. I don't know. The Rock my is lo- very busy. <laughs> my love for The Rock is very unnatural, so we might as well just move on oh. from this one because I cannot. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just move on then. We're learning. We're learning things about Steve tonight. Um, <laughs> so, um, normally we kind of break this down by scenes, but since this is the year of hell and the show breaks it down in like highlights of days, we're going to do it the same way here tonight. So um, we're going to talk about all the different days and the things that happen in these days. And we do have a cut. We do have one star date to talk about um, and all that. And uh, some really funny and cool lines in this episode. So let's dive right in to uh, year of hell part one. And uh, we start right off with day one uh, of year of hell. And um, we see a very typical Star Trek matte painting city, uh, lots of activity and stuff happening. But then the ship shows up and there's like this, like a beam, a laser phaser thing, and it wipes out everything, all the man-made cities until the planet just looks natural again. Um, we immediately go to the Krenum time ship. Um, even though these characters don't have names yet, we know that that's Obris and Anorax. They're talking about their calculations and how did the time incursion go? Did we hit our target? Um, he says no, uh, negative target. Um, and they're all frustrated because they did all these calculations. And then um, Anorax says, well, you know what? Maybe it's more than just this one colony. Maybe we got to uh, destroy the whole species. And that'll be enough for restoration. Um, so this is a really great cold open. It's it's very... You don't know what's really going on here yet. You just know that this guy is out to destroy entire civilizations because he's trying to achieve some kind of goal. So it's very mysterious. And then we go right to our opening credits. So... Um, 
Brooke, had you seen this episode before watching it for tonight? Um, no. Because I skipped, because as I was watching uh, Voyager, I skipped some episodes to go to these mm-hmm. um, a while back just so that I knew that I had seen them, at, you know, one time. So then whenever I could go back and do the uh, breakdown and all that kind of stuff. So, no, I had not. And um, I still haven't made it all the way to those episodes in chronological order in Voyager either. Mm-hmm. I've kind of gotten, I got onto some other uh uh, I, I got uh, obsessed, I guess, with a couple other shows. So, <laughs> well, I, I was, uh, which is totally yeah. fine, of course. I, I was just yeah. curious what your reaction was because I, I know Steve and I have seen this m- many times. But what was your mm-hmm. like thoughts or feelings when you saw this for the first time? Like, did you like what? Yeah, what what, what was your take on on the setup? Um. I thought it was kind of interesting, like, because at first I didn't really know what uh, Kurtwood Smith's group was doing at first. And then I kind of realized that they were, like, messing with time. And then you find out that they've been there a hundred or so years, however long they've been there, and doing this, trying to recreate uh, everything the way it was. and I thought it was really interesting. Like, okay. I never thought about, like, you know, I watch a lot of uh, time travel-based TV shows and movies and stuff. So this was sort of a, a new, interesting kind of idea for me. You know, it's almost like, what was it? Um, is it... Yesterday, yeah, yesterday's Enterprise. We covered that one where they they're in a different timeline, right? But our crew, but it was like we were with our crew the whole time, and then and there were other timelines going on around them, and things were re- reverse. It, it, anyway, I just I thought it was a thought it was a really cool uh, concept, you know, okay. when it comes to that because. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's not a lot of new stuff you can do with time travel when no one really knows if it can happen or how it would happen. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, oh, I'm sorry. I was like to Brooke's point, I, I did think it was an interesting way for the writers to write this into it to where we were as clueless as everybody else. Because, you know, as, as the first temporal incursion happens to where Enterprise, I mean, excuse me, Voyager is. Um, they also have no idea what's happening. You know, the wave just goes through, and the next thing you know, the ship's, you know, breaking apart. There's a dead, random dead crew member on the ground just out of nowhere. And it's just like, we don't know. They don't know. You know what I'm saying? So we're all finding out together, like, why this time shift is happening and what the purpose is. And I, I, I think that's an interesting take on it. Because you would, you would see that in, in the past, maybe something like this would happen, and for some reason... You know the, the the protagonists are are aware of this and we're outside of that bubble and are observing it from the outside. But in, in this case, they're also wrapped up in the story too. We all get to find out together what's happening. Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a really great point. You know, Vo- uh, Voyager is just as confused as we are about what's happening, and certainly when that first time wave hits Voyager. 
we know things have changed because we've been watching the episode. But, of course, Voyager has no clue. Like, it's, it's not like they say, hey, wait a minute, everything's different. They're unaware that things have shifted because of of this time wave. Um, so, as the audience, we actually know a little bit more than Voyager does. So, it's kind of fun to watch them try to figure out what's happening and then we kind of go along with them on this investigative journey um, about how this, how the timeline got shifted. Um, excuse me. So uh, after our opening, uh, we are in the astrometrics lab. Um, this, this will become a huge part of the rest of the show as they are often in the astrometrics lab, like doing calculations and scanning and on the whatever. Um, but they're bringing it online for the first time. It's all these nice uh, speeches that like Janeway and Chakotay are making about how it's like they're returning to the maps and globes of the ancient explorers and how they've blended Borg ingenuity along with Starfleet uh, t- technology. And, you know, that's because of Harry and Seven. Um, and uh, Seven says that they've plotted a course that's going to eliminate five years off of their journey. So, pretty exciting. Happy about Astrometrics Lab. Um, and then with, this is like all exposition where they're like, we're going to pass through this region of space, and then, oh, it's controlled by the Zal. And um, it, it, that made me think of Zool, which made me laugh. And... Um, <laughs> uh, Seven the says gatekeeper. that. Yes, <laughs> only Zool. Um, <laughs> so uh, Seven says that the Zal are non-confrontational and they have a low resistance quotient. So that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty grim. I love <laughs> these little Borg observations. Sometimes are a little scary that Seven likes to make. Um, and so ba- basically, they're uh, they're about to like kind of leave and go about their day. And then the doctor kind of jumps in here with his long-winded speech, um, as he often does. And he, he does have really one funny line where he says that, oh, we used to be at each other's throats, but look at us now. We've all come together. Starfleet, McKee, Klingon, Talaxium, Hologram, Borg, even Mr. Paris. And, and that just, <laughs> he's always dumping on Tom Paris. Always. And that's his protege, too. It's true, he is. He's like the medic, basically. He's trained as like the doctor's assistant because the doctor's the only medical personnel on board <laughs> for this ship. Um, yeah, I, I love Robert Picardo in this role as the doctor because he's Amazing. just so snarky and sarcastic. He's just great. I just don't know how, if, if in all the Star Trek universe, how the doctor's not even your, not your number one or number two. In uh, all of the shows, I, I mean, I, I just like you know, I said about The Rock being the best guest. I can argue that Robert Ricardo and the Doctor is hands down the best Doctor in the entire Star Trek. Oh, that's a that's a big statement. He's the best Doctor. Okay. Well, okay, so what? I'm um, sorry. So who are you going up against the the Doctor? I would say if I had to rank my Doctors, it would be uh, McCoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I gotta go with McCoy number one. I would go uh, EMH number two, mm-hmm. Crusher number three, 
this is tough. Um, I actually want to put Flocks yeah, at number Flocks. three. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think I'm going to – okay, I'm going to swap. I'm going to do Flocks at number three, Crusher at number four, and then probably Bashir at number yeah. five. Because it's just like, eh, whatever. Oh. He's Julian. Uh, he is whatever. Um, <laughs> he, he had some interesting plots, but um, am I forgetting anybody? I think that's everybody. Well, there's a guy from what Discovery. What about Dr. Pulaski? Oh, Dr. Pulaski. <laughs> Dr. Pulaski gets an honorable mention because mm-hmm. she doesn't deserve all the hate that she gets. Oh, no, I love Pulaski. Yes, I love Dr. Pulaski. Thank I you. I love Dr. Pulaski. I wore a shirt that said I love Pulaski to a convention one year. <laughs> <laughs> I custom made it, and it's like instead of the heart, it was just Pulaski's face. That is. Great. <laughs> it was incredible. Doesn't fit me anymore, but it's a great it's shirt. Amazing. I'm forgetting Doctor from Voyager. I'm from Voyager. From, it's from, uh, Wilson Cruz's from, character. Yes. Who I really yeah. like. I like Wilson Cruz a lot. I, I met him. He's a really nice guy. I think I'm gonna put him above Bashir. Also. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I just, I don't know. Julian just sometimes rubs me in the wrong way. Um, Brooke, do, I, do, I, do, do you have any know, thoughts here? Do you want to weigh in on on our doctor talk? Oh, I was just uh, whenever Steve just started talking about it, I was just gonna say that, um, you know, since last time I was saying that I had watched before I'd watched Voyager, I wasn't sure what I would think about this hologram doctor, but I really like him a lot. I think he's funny. But um, I don't really have a ranking. What was the movie that he guest appeared in? Was it, uh, was it the last, was it, there was a nemesis, was it? The doctor was Oh, Robert Picardo? Yeah. Um, it might've been nemesis. Cause remember when the board was, was, was advanced? No, no, the board, the board, so that wasn't in nemesis. Yeah, it, it must right. have been first contact because. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. They they, they do. They turned him on for well. Yeah. They turned him on for distraction. Remember? Yeah. As, as the borgs coming through, and he starts talking about the 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 things that the irritations that's caused by borg implants. He's like going over the symptoms as he's getting yeah. like attacked. <laughs> well, they I said don't. Don't they try to assimilate him? But he's obviously a hologram, so like they can't yeah. assimilate him. <laughs> You're yeah, right. I think yeah, I'm pretty sure that it's it's first contact. Um, no, he's great. I I love the EMH as his storylines go on. I uh, I love I love his. He's almost like the data of this series. Like he's trying to become more human, just like Data always was. So, um, okay. So, uh, in the middle of the doctor's big speech, uh, Janeway gets saved by the bell. She gets called to the bridge because there's a ship hailing them. Once they get on the bridge, there's, like, this little tiny ship that's, like, shooting its, like, you know, laser guns at them. And, and is like, you know, uh, you're in Kretum space. You don't, you can't be here. And Janeway's like, I thought this was all space. And, and this guy's like, foaming at the mouth like they've taken our stuff we're gonna we're gonna take it back and um he says that he's gonna destroy voyager and then janeway delivers like one of the best lines in this episode where she says unless you got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes i'm not turning around (laughs) (laughs) and they just 
they showed Chakotay's face and he's like, eh, not bad. Like, he's just <laughs> impressed with her joke. Is it better than the Time's Up line? Oh, it's definitely better than the Time's Up line. <laughs> Come on, that was this, dude, that's classic 90s right there. Huh? I know. I mean, this episode definitely has a lot of the time travel required oh. lines. Oh, I can which make is, the time. Oh, which is Janeway's up. favorite. Janeway really loves well, time travel stuff. I know, right? Also, since you said uh, she was saved by the bell, then Time's Up is sort of like in the TV show Saved by the Bell, Time Out. Anyway, sorry. Exactly. Time Out. <laughs> Just trying to make a stupid joke. <laughs> uh, so now we get to day four in the year of hell. Day four, there is a Zal representative on Voyager. He uh, gives us a little more exposition, saying that the Krenum used to be super powerful. They, have, they had temporal weapons. But a generation ago, the Zal defeated them in battle. They kind of reduced their their power. And then they took back all the planets that had been annexed away from them. But that the Krenum still fly around, kind of making big claims like, well, one day, you know, the South will rise again. Sorry, that's the only thing oh, I can think of as a comparison. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I can think of, I'm sorry. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, Harry um, interrupts their talk and says, the Krenum ship is back. He's demanding to speak with her. And um, we've got the same crazy pilot who's like, ah, you guys are still here and now you've got the enemy on board. And uh, the Zal guy who... <laughs> I, I like I like you characterizing him like that because he sounds like a Muppet or something. Like, can you see him like doing like the, ah, like Grover? Like the, those uh, wavy arms that like Kermit does. Yeah. Like, ah. yeah. He just reminds me of that. So. <laughs> a wacky two bar wave, wave, wavable, whatever. Wacky, wacky, yeah, one of those. Inflatable, uh, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. <laughs> Waving arm too much. That's what it is. Yeah, so, his demeanor definitely changes. <laughs> yes. What's interesting is every time the to- every time that we get a time shift, we still get the same pilot, and his attitude is different every time. Because as we're talking here, um, you know, the the, the Zal re- representative tells him, you know, hey, I'll I'll seize your ship and send you home in a cargo container, and. Uh, uh, and, and Janeway's like, all right, everybody, just chill out. Like, let's try to, like, co- solve this peacefully. But now here yeah, comes... Because the little dog's kind of like, I'm going yeah. to... just like, I'm going to shut your trap for you. <laughs> <laughs> like, you won't shut your mouth, I'll shut it for you. Like, he's pretty much... Yeah, like, like that's yeah. exactly how he was. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, de- definitely. Like these are two groups of people that are at each other's throats for sure. Um, so uh, this time wave is headed right their way. They can't escape it because it's uh, destabilized their warp field. Janeway tells the crew to, um, if, you know, brace for impact. And then as the time wave hits, the Zal ships disappear. The Krenum ship suddenly gets you know, super beefed up. Now it's like this warship. 
And now Voyager looks totally different. You know, it's in darker lighting. There's clearly damage. You know, Steve, you mentioned there's like random crew member dead on the floor. Um, Clearly things have gone differently since time was changed. Um, And of course, Voyager's not aware of it, but we're aware of it. Mm-hmm. And um, which is kind of cool that we now we see the difference here. Um, so now the same pilot who before was like crazy pants. Now he's like a Bond villain and he's like in his swivel chair, turning around, <laughs> stroking his cat like, hey, what are you doing in my space? Like he's like a whole different a space guy. cat. Space cat. Exactly. Space it's a space cat. cat. <laughs> Clearly, if they're in space, it's a space cat. I mean, you know, a galactic cat. I don't know, galactic cat, Sorry. a cosmic cat, non-existent cosmic, cat, because yeah. there is no cat in the scene. But okay, it's a cat in yeah, my imagination, but... Steve. <laughs> that's that's the lion's. It's, it's an alien cat because he's invisible. <laughs> Jeez. Mm-hmm. Sorry. See, <laughs> Rebecca and I, we just were imagining this because of the way that he was acting this time. You know, no, like, no, no, I got it. Oh, so. <laughs> I expect you to die. Like, he's that guy now. <laughs> yeah. He's definitely like, oh, you're just a fly. That's uh, annoying me. Be gone. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. he, even, he even tells them, like, you know, uh, you violated our borders, and um, he's like, I-, I would like to take your ship as a trophy before it gets too damaged, so if you surrender right now, I'll forego executing your crew. Like, he's doing them a huge favor or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, Janeway here with another really great line where she says, I don't respond well to threats. And... Um, we'll see that she definitely does not respond well to threats and she says uh, at the end of this scene she says this is turning into the week of hell little does she know there's a whole Mm -hmm. lot more to come (laughs) so uh, the Krenum ship uh, fires on Voyager because they are, have temporal weapons they're they're basically the torpedoes are going straight through the shielding um and so they have no choice, so they, they retreat uh, at warp six. She puts the ship on 24-hour tactical alert, and uh, Tuvok is going to try to develop some kind of shielding to uh, protect them from these temporal um, temporal tor- torpedoes. Is, is there something bouncing or hitting or clicking? Hmm. Maybe it's my chair. It's it's like someone's either bouncing a ball or like click or like hitting their 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 keyboard keys. I mean, I am I am playing basketball. Oh well, that that there you go. <laughs> I think it's my chair. Oh okay. How Sorry. dare you? <laughs> See, there's a weight limit that was on the instructions, but I have chosen to ignore it. So. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Let me see. Then all of a sudden, it's just gonna go. <gasps> Oh, and, you know, he's gonna collapse. It'd be terrible. We'll have to, we'll have to be like, we'll be yeah. right back. And no, that's good radio. Come on, that's good radio. <laughs> Everybody wants to hear that, right? <laughs> Hilarious. 
Okay. So, sorry yeah. to interrupt. I just uh, to or just to stop the episode. I just I'm hearing this thing and I'm like, oh, what is that? What is that? <laughs> um. Okay. Uh, okay. Great. So we go back to the Krenum time ship. Uh, we see Anorax in his like ready room, and he's got like this triangle Beauty and the Beast protective glass thing. And he's got one red lock of hair in it. And uh, he's kind of like, this is clearly important to him. We don't yet know what it is exactly, but it's clearly important to him. Um, Even though um, we don't know what it is, it still seems pretty creepy. It does. I mean, normally, if somebody has a lock of hair in like a special protective case covering, they're usually creepy and or not mm-hmm. usually they can be creepy and maybe even a stalker so you have to kind of yeah. ask yourself yeah, it's, why it's not like one of those yeah it's not like a victorian locket with someone's hair in it or something it's like you know like this is like the definitely like i'm going to use this wonderful specimen for cloning or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'm you know I must keep them close to me. Yes. In pristine, you know. Soon, my precious, we will be together. My precious. Yeah. It's kind of like that. I mean, it is a, yeah, it is kind of like that. (laughs) So, um, on the Krenum time ship, um, after Anorax is having a moment with the lock of hair, um, Obris comes in and he says, um, there was a complete temporal restoration once we eliminated the Zal. And then Anorax gets like real kind of douchey here and he's like, choose your words more carefully. What if I told you to count the stars in the cosmos? Could you do it? So was it really all the way? And it's like, Oh boy, he's that guy. Okay, gotcha. He's that guy. And how could you have taken well, two hundred years of that? That's oh, my question. Right. <laughs> yeah, like right? that, that is that right. is like like day one stuff. Like you're at your new job and just feeling out your boss, and your boss doesn't know you, and you don't know your boss, and he's just like he's making sure you know that he's in charge, and he's you talking down to you like you're his child. But two hundred years later, and the guy's still talking to this guy like that. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I agree. I like, I like later though, when, when he's like, oh, well, you can, we can, we don't say never when we have time kind of thing, whatever he says. And it's like, that's sort of the opposite of what you just told the, what? (laughs) The guy like tries to call him out on it. Yeah. It's going on. Sorry. Yeah, it's um. No, that's quite all right. Yeah, we we are about to learn in this scene as we go on here a little more exposition. Um, he's telling him that basically with what they did with destroying with eliminating the Zal, the the Krenum are back on top. They're like the number one head honcho people in this part of the galaxy. Um. And that it's a 98% restoration to how the timeline was before. And he does drop a line here, which 
we don't get a really a resolution to until the next episode where he says that there are no um no certain diseases and it's like huh that's very specific but again the payoff comes in episode two for that one um he, he basically says to Anorex, we've been doing this for 200 years. 200 years, this crew has been on this ship messing around with the timelines, trying to f- fix something. And the only reason why they don't age is because they're basically out of time. Like, they're, they're not aging the same way because, you know, 200 years, obviously, they wouldn't be alive. But... Um, can you even imagine, like, spending 200 years trying to fix something and never, ever coming, you know, hitting that mark exactly 100%? How frustrating for this crew. I mean, you're definitely taking that 98% after 200 years. Definitely. I I don't care what. (laughs) You're walking away with that Uh being like, oh, yeah, okay, my wife, yeah. You know, that's fine. But 200 years later, 98%, my, my species is thriving. Like, let, let, let's, let's just call this done. We're good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you know that's what the crew was thinking. When they heard that 98%, they're all high-fiving, and they're like, this is it. We did it. Like, this is it. We're, we're done. We get to go home. And Space Red was like, nah, bro. This, this, yeah. ain't, this ain't it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and I think – I oh. Go ahead, bro. Sorry, I was just going to make a joke. I think he would have benefited from watching <laughs> Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and seeing that that kind of thing just doesn't work. Exactly! He should have just watched into the, the ancient movie into the yeah. Spider-Verse. And he would have known. <laughs> you know, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Also, too, like, he particularly asks about the colony on Kiana Prime. Um, Obrista says, no, in this timeline... Uh, the Imperium doesn't go that far. Okay, so now here's another piece to the puzzle. Whatever he's trying to restore is on that planet. He has to restore something, somebody, to that planet. So we're starting to get a bigger picture here. Anorax is clearly like a man obsessed. He can't let go. His crew is weary. They are tired. They don't want to do this anymore, but they are basically trapped with this obsessed captain who will not let it go. And, you know, you can just imagine this guy in another 500 years still at it. And his crew, like, at that point, like, how do you even go on? Like, I I don't know if I could do it, (laughs) but... um. And he, you know, he he basically tells Obris like, you know, go back, do more calculations. Even though the crew thinks the captain's lost his objectivity, he doesn't care. He is basically gonna keep uh, trying to make it right. So now we jump to day thirty-two. Uh, we see another firefight between Voyager and a Krenum ship. Um, Basically, uh, Voyager can't fire weapons. Um, the phaser banks are burned out. They can't launch tor- torpedoes. Um, we get word that Deck 5, which is where Sick Bay is, is having a power overload. Um, they can't stop it. The overload's spreading. The whole deck, or half the deck, is going to blow. Um, 
So now there's like two exciting things happening. They're going to let the Krenim ship get close, and then they're going to kind of drop the torpedoes like mines, and they're also in the process of evacuating sickbay here. Um, of course, you know, Tom Paris does his thing. He maneuvers the ship, blah, blah, blah. They drop the mines. Um, the Krenim ship is is destroyed. Um, but here we get, like, actually a really important scene in the episode where the doctor is evacuating sickbay. He's loading all of his patients into the Jeffrey's tube. Um, he sees two crewmen who are basically running to join them. Otherwise, they will be caught up in the blast. He holds the door open to literally the last possible second. And then he makes a choice. He closes the door to save the people that he can. And he is not able to save the two crewmen uh, who unfortunately die in the blast. Um, so th- this is a pretty like this is th- this is an incredibly difficult decision for anybody to make. But I mean, the doctor at the end of the day is a computer program. So I, I-, I want to hear your guys thoughts on this scene and what you thought about the th- this choice that the doctor had to make. So so for me, this is this is the beginning of this episode as far as what I said earlier about the actual real-life tough choices you'd be making if you were in that situation. Of course, if you're a Voyager fan and you've seen all the, the entire series, you remember the, the, the two-parter Equinox. And Equinox is, was definitely there to show you the dichotomy between the two differences, the two routes you would take if you were stuck out in the middle of nowhere. Like... Uh, would you do anything you can and sacrifice people and alien species just to get home faster to protect your crew? Or would you follow Prime Directive and Starfleet regulations like Janeway and her crew did? This one right here, the scene shows, you know, the first hint of, like, tough choices and not always happy endings. Because the first four seasons, you know, you, you see, you know, of course there's drama, but normally, they come out on top, you know, at the end. It mm-hmm. starts off where you're fighting Maquis, rebels, and then you end up out there together. And then next thing you know, you see a Maquis, uh, you know, former Maquis in Starfleet uniforms. And that's, like, very quick and a little convenient. You know what I mean? Like, I know that they're stuck out there in the middle of nowhere, but still... Like, I think that it would take a much longer time for that to develop. Like, to me, the first ten episodes should have been them, like, in the brig. And then them talking their way out of it. And then January realizing, hey, we're stuck out here together. Might as well, like, do something together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, instead of doing that, they, they tied it up in, in a nice bow and made you kind of happy-go-lucky and hold hands. Well, this this scene shows that, that all those bets are off. Like, they're making the tough decisions in this story arc, you know, they're, 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 they're out on their own, the, crew, the ship's falling apart, they have to survive, they, they're in survival mode. For the first real time that we see them, they're in survival mode, which is what you would be from the second you got to the the, the Delta Quadrant. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
No, I get. I I think you're absolutely right that this is definitely. They are definitely in survival mode in, in in these two episodes because, I mean, that's all they're doing is they are just surviving attacks and and just mm-hmm. getting more and more beat up as the episode goes on. Um, I have to say about this specific scene, um, you know, we see the doctor like close the door on the the other guys and. I feel like, you know, you mentioned, oh, he's just a computer program. Yeah, but I feel like what this show has done really well, and I know you didn't mean it like that, but, you know, you, <laughs> it almost seems like we shouldn't care. Like, oh, yeah, he would do that because he's, whatever, he's a computer. But, uh, you know, he spent all this time trying to be more human and even likes to hear gossip. That's, like, my favorite bit. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, I mean, Brooke, you're absolutely, absolutely right, because there are episodes yeah. where the doctor is teaching Seven of Nine to be more human. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so so clearly they're writing this this hologram program as something way more than a computer program. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like mm-hmm. Data, except for the doctor, the AMH character, is clearly like above and beyond of what Data's... Mm-hmm growth was or capability was as as mm-hmm. as recreating humankind and, and, and being mm-hmm. a human. The doctor has mm-hmm. has pretty much achieved that in this show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're right. I, I mean that's hundred percent right. I think without that, we it wouldn't be as like you know, like a dramatic bit to the scene. It would just be like, yeah, well he's a machine. Whatever. Of course he did that. He doesn't care about people, but we know that he does and that he waited until the very last moment and then, you know, closed the door. Uh, I think that's like a a really, it, it shows how well they've developed his character to show that he wants to be more human for us to, to get the like impact of like, uh, Of this scene. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Because yeah. if you see, if you saw Data or Tuvok or Spock or Seven of Nine doing that scene, it wouldn't be so impactful because those, you know, those will, those people will make the logical choice. But it's not them in this scene; it's the Doctor, and 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 it actually has way more of an impact than if someone, one of those other people, did it. So uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. And that's and Seven and that's, would just be like. Yeah. Seven would have just like gone through and shut the door and kept going. Yeah, she would wait a second, but then realized that the logical choice and individuality like, is oh, irrelevant. They're too, they're too slow. They're not going to make it. Not even going to wait. <laughs> Definitely. Well, I think that this scene gets a really, I think that this scene gets a really interesting payoff later on in the mess hall which has become like the triage when Tom and the doctor have a conversation about this scene. Um, And, and it's true. Like, I guess what I was saying before about him being basically a computer program is that one could easily make the assumption like, well, he's really an extension of the computer and the computer makes decisions based on pure facts and and one could even say logic um so 
surely this decision, you know, should have been easy because he's a computer, basically. Uh, but as we're finding out, that decision was very hard for him. And to the point that it's, you could see him experiencing a form of guilt over it. But at the same time, like, if it were any of us in that position, I mean, what was the alternative to leave the door open past the, the past the countdown and, and they're still rushing to get in and now you lose everybody, including the people you've, you know, just evacuated from sickbay. So, you know, he, he's having a very human response, even though technically I guess he shouldn't have a human response. But it, it's a really great scene here. And I feel like, you know, we get even more depth of it when, you know, the doctor and Tom kind of talk about it later on um, when they're triaging patients. But, yeah, a really, really great scene right here in the in the middle of the episode. Um, so, uh, basically, uh, once, so they've survived this attack, uh, Janeway tells Tuvok to survey the ship deck by, deck by deck with security teams to get a full damage report. She tells Chakotay, you have the bridge, what's left of it. And uh, she goes into her ready room, which is a disaster. Uh, debris everywhere. Uh, computers are broken. You know, everything is just all over the place. Um, and Chakotay comes in basically with an alternative plan. And he says, we should leave the ship behind, break the crew up into smaller groups, put them on uh, shuttles, put them in escape pods, and we'll all basically do our best to get through space, uh, through this part of space on our own in groups, and then we'll rendezvous outside of Krenum space. And, you know, J- Janeway is not going for this plan. She says, you know, we're stronger together. I'm, I'm not going to break up the family. She says, you know, if we're separate, then we can't pool our resources, and that's where we excel. Um, and she says, as long as Voyager's in one piece, we're going to stay with the ship. So what what do you guys think of Chakotay's plan here? Do you think it's a good plan? Do you think, uh, do you think he's uh, ridiculous? Like, what do you guys think of his plan? Well, um, I, so, like, peeking behind the curtain, when I was reading about um, Fuller pitching this arc to uh, Rick Berman... You know, he was pitching this as a season-long story arc. Oh, interesting. And it got rejected, but the writers were, like, so into it because this is two years after Deep Space Nine's launch, and you know that Deep Space Nine is, is very serialistic. Like, it's it was one big arc. Like, that right. was the, the mm-hmm. first time that we'd seen that in Star Trek. We see one big story. And Berman was fighting to be the anti-DS9 because he didn't want it the Star Trek fatigue to set in where there was two simultaneous shows happening with a, with a big arc. And he just wanted to keep it more like TOS and TGA and with, you know, nice, neat, closed single episode stories. The writers were super into this idea of writing the year of hell as, as a full season. Season four was supposed to be all of year of hell. And, um, the plan was, was that they were going to all break up 
into shuttles and uh, escape pods and all that. And there was going to be several episodes where you just see the two people that are in the escape pod. Like, you don't even see Janeway or Chakotay for a whole episode. And then the next episode, yeah, and they were going to do, like, individual stories about them being separated. And that was the whole thing. And, and... As I'm listening to this, you can, you can tell like like that's what the setup was. You know, this this was written as the setup, and eventually they do kind of they do break up. Obviously, we know that, but but that was this was supposed to be that setup for just the just the adventures of you know Tom Paris and Harry Kim on some other planet that they crash land on and trying to like survive until Voyager picks them back up again. You know what I mean? So. I, I mean, I like the plan because it was, a, once again, it's a, it's a hint of survival mode, you know, and Janeway's voice here is, you know, basically the voice of Rick Berman saying, no, we're going to stay together because Voyager is, you know, stronger as one piece. Hmm. And, well, that's, that's very yeah. interesting. That's a very interesting insight into that scene. Because I would have loved, I would have loved to have seen that. I don't know. I mean, I, maybe people like the close-ended series and and wanted to stay away from from the, the style that DS9 was going. But one season of of the Year of Hell, which is why they called it that, because it was literally supposed to be a Year of Hell. And 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 that would have been cool. So it was. It's hard for me to watch that scene and just think about the plan and and say, okay, well, what would have worked, knowing that. Now knowing and rewatching it again for the fourth and fifth time, knowing that was supposed to be the setup for the way this was going. So mm. anyway, just thought I'd, I'd interject with that. No, that's that's very interesting stuff that that you just uh, shared with us. Mm. Um, what do you think, Brooke, about about uh, this plan that uh, Chakotay has to break up the ship? Um, I kind of agree with Janeway that as long as everything, as long as it was uh, in one piece, that they should stay together because. How many times does it happen whenever, you know, you're like, hey, we're going to meet up at the ice cream stand, you know, and you're at, like, Bonnaroo or something, and there's just so many people, and you just never do. Right. <laughs> like, you know, you get separated from your friends, and it's like, in space, <laughs> no one can hear you scream. But also, you can't find, <laughs> you can't necessarily find each other, you know? Like, what Mm -hmm. if they went different directions? Like, there's not, I mean, there's not even cardinal directions. So it's like, what? Anyway, I don't know. I feel like maybe they wouldn't make it. And I don't know. I I like the idea of them all being together if something happens. Yeah. Well, she's the captain. She wants to go down with her ship. She wants to stay together. Yeah. And, you know, certainly, like, from the beginning, the Janeway's line was always or her her take was always we we are a family out here you know we're we are all that we only have each other we don't have the federation we don't have other starships we don't have the comforts and the luxury of home so um we only have each other we are our, our we are our own family and so I definitely see why she's saying we have to stay together um, but I can't deny that there's a part of me that would have loved to have seen a whole season of everybody kind of on their own, doing their own thing. 
and maybe not even a whole season, but maybe like a five episode arc or, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. Even I, I would have enjoyed that too, but um, yeah, I, I do. I mean, and his plan, it's not like a terrible plan, but it, it certainly is sort of the idea of like, if we split up, like they'd have to work harder to get all of us. So, you know, most of us will make it. And, you know, whereas we're we're on Voyager, we're like one giant target. So I, I get where he's coming from, but um, it's probably the best decision for them all to stick together here as well, long as it, they can. It's kind of telling, though. Like, it sets, definitely sets up for um, the future of, of the next episode where you're kind of seeing J-Way, I don't want to say fall apart, but starts to make decisions like I, like I keep getting back to. But decisions that are the hard decisions with the reality that we're out here alone. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you're going to have that blowback. And that's the whole point of a first officer is you're going to have that voice of reason. But this is the beginning, in my opinion, because, yes, she was calm and rational when she, when she responded to him and basically said no. But she didn't, also didn't give it any thought. You know, and if this was like a fresh thinking Janeway – I think that they would have sat down and called the senior officers in and 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 discussed what the plan looked like. Okay, Chicote, I hear what you're saying. Tell me what it looks like and tell me what the entire plan is and how are we going to reunite. And instead, it was just like, no, I'm the captain. And then, of course, you see, you know, later on where he's trying to remind her of her humanity and you know symbolize that. That, you know, something from the past or something that, hey, we're going to be okay. We just need to stay, you know, connected to each other and rational and and remember who we are, that we are humans and we are from the Federation. And, you know, she she slowly starts to reject that all the way through the episode, mm-hmm. you know, into the next episode, obviously. Sure. So. Well, yeah, she, I think we watch her become a captain obsessed. Just as much as Anorax is. Um, she becomes obsessed with saving Voyager um, to the point of, of her own, of undermining her own health, of almost, you know, self-harm. Um, and, and we'll talk about that in the next episode for sure. Um, so uh, let's jump back into this episode. So now we're at day 47. Um, we see that Bolana and Harry are trapped in a turbo lift. Uh, Bolana is hurt, and uh, they're playing a trivia game to pass the time. So they're talking about uh, early 20th century entertainment. They're talking about sports, Parisi squares. Um, they're talking about Zephram Cochranship uh, for first contact, and um. You know, they're, they've been in this turbolift for a couple hours. Uh, no one's come to save them yet. But then uh, right here at this point is when Seven finally, she's there. She opens the doors. Um, she tells them that uh, the, a bunch of power relays were damaged in the last attack and that none of the turbolifts work. And um, at first, Bolana wants to, like, go right to work, like... Get me to the Jeffrey's tube. I'll fix the EPS manifolds. And uh, and uh, 
Harry's like, no, you have to go to the doctor now. Um, and then Seven, this is a cute little nod um, to a, a Star Trek movie here. Um, uh, Seven says the answer to Harry's question is the Phoenix. That was the name of Zephram Cochran's ship that led to first contact. And um, she says that the Borg were present for that event and then says, but that's a long story. <laughs> and, of course, that is uh, in reference to the movie Star Trek First Contact, uh, where the Borg were indeed uh, there for Zephram Cochran's um, launch it's in another kind of, weird time travel way. <laughs> it's kind of a weird thing to think about the fact that the, the Academy, we, we've... We've heard that the Academy has, you know, characters have made re- uh, references to the Academy having entire classes on Zephyr Cochran's first engine, and warp engine. But yet these two Starfleet officers can't name the ship. I, I thought that was strange. Uh, well, um, it's, 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 I think it's Bolana that can't name it. Um, I guess that's true. She's not really a Starfleet officer. Well, she was in the Academy. She, yeah, was, she was in the Academy. She was in the Academy, but she often reminds us that she flunked out, like, I think after her first or second year, and um, mm. she became a Maquis. So her her Starfleet education's a little spotty here and there. <laughs> I guess that's true. I, I don't know the first. I mean, the, the Wright brothers' first plane probably had a name, and I don't know it, so I guess that makes sense. <laughs> Um, wasn't it the Spirit of St. Louis? I think that was Amelia Earhart's plane. Oh, no, that uh, was Charles That was Charles Lindbergh's plane. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, yeah that know. was Lindbergh. Yeah. I don't know anything either. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows anything. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's why we're podcasting here, right? There you go. <laughs> so, uh, now we get a scene with uh, Chakotay Janeway and Tom Paris. They're talking about Tom's plans for emergency bulkheads. Uh, he says he was inspired by the Titanic. Uh, and he's describing how these bulkheads would come down and seal off sections that way. Um, like in the Titanic, if the ship took on even like, uh, I think he, he says, even if it took on like a lot of water, it could still stay afloat because of these bulkheads. And, um, uh, Janeway says, didn't the Titanic sink? <laughs> and of, of course it did. And uh, Tom is like, well, yeah, but I think this will this will go better. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it it did it did sink, but uh, this will be okay. <laughs> if anybody wants to know what the name of the Wright brothers' plane was, it was the Wright Flyer. Oh. Thank you. And the, and they numbered them after that. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Thanks Sorry. For, to... I'm glad you know things. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know how to. I know how to look up things. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> um, so. Um, anyway, back to the Titanic. <laughs> yeah, back to the Titanic, which did sink. Um. So now they're going to place these emergency bulkheads into action to basically try to keep if a portion of the ship gets, you know, too damaged, they can seal it off and they can still keep on going and and without with saving most of the crew. Um, The doctor calls to calls Tom. He has to come down to the mess hall to assist with the wounded. Uh, So he he heads down there. So 
Then we're back with Seven in the Jeffrey's tube. She's trying to, you know, she's doing her uh, investigation, trying to figure out what's going on over there. And there is a giant torpedo lodged in the Jeffrey's tube. I mean, this thing is just sticking out there so obnoxiously. <laughs> and uh, she's scanning it, whatever. She calls Tuvok and tells him, you know, I this is the Jeffrey's tube I'm in. And there is a temporal torpedo lodged in here. And the warhead is active. So Tuvok tells her, do not disarm it. Wait for wait for my arrival. Is that understood? And she says, arrive quickly. In that seven of nine Borg way that she has. She tells him to arrive quickly. So now in the mess hall, we um, do get this conversation we talked a little bit about before between the doctor and Tom Paris. Uh, Tom is treating Bolana. Uh, she's got all these internal injuries. And the doctor calls him away to help him treat other patients. He's telling him, you know, that's the first rule of triage. Make sure the patient will survive and then move on to the next one. And he's like giving him this long lecture about you have to be emotionally detached. And you, you're going to see more of your friends in here if you don't... Uh, if you don't step it up and you have to be dispassionate and, and you know, you'll impair your judgment. And he's, he's kind of going on and on and on. And then Tom says, physician, heal thyself. And the doctor's like, well, you know, what's that supposed to mean? Tom tells him, well, you seem to be the one who's getting pretty emotional. And, you know, this is when the doctor kind of puts the two pieces together of his reaction and he tells Tom about how he had to close the door on these two crewmen and and you know he made the right decision he said I made the right decision like I was you know I was able to separate myself and make a make a dispassionate decision and and uh, I did the right thing and but he's clearly struggling with how that situation made him feel like, he he knows he made the right decision, but it doesn't make it any easier to live with. Because he's obviously still, obviously still thinking about it. It's, he's, it's weighing on his mind. And that's a big deal, because he doesn't actually live. Exactly. So it's like, as long as his program is running, he'll have to deal with it. Like, that's maybe even worse. It's like he's people on this other ship that have been doing this for 200 years, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something to think about. I don't know that I would want to be a semi-sentient hologram. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'd want to be a hologram either. Be, you know, I'd be, be sentient, but, but be a hologram. I don't know. I mean, it's got its advantages, I'm sure. True. I mean, you don't get sick. Listen, if I could, if I could come up the stairs and walk straight through the wall out in our common area, I would be right in my bedroom, and that would be amazing. (laughs) That's really the only thing. If if I could just walk up the stairs, that that uh, that would be a big advantage for me if I was a hologram that I could walk up the stairs without my knees creaking and uh, yeah, so. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't want to live forever, but I like. Uh, I just. I like the not feeling like I'm 800 years old. 
when I'm not even 40 yet. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I, I know was that, that episode where he ended up on the planet that time moves like more rapidly? Do you remember that episode? Yeah, Rebecca? I I do. And he ended up spending like you know 30 years down there in the matter of like three like two minutes or something. Yeah, he lived like a whole life down there. He had a he had a a a partner. They had a kid. They had a son. Yeah, I, I don't know, know how that worked out. I was like, how does a hologram? How? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> And maybe we shouldn't question these things too much. It's yeah, pretty quickly. We just moved right over that. That was it. That was fine. Even the writers were like, yeah, yeah, just quickly move to the okay, next scene. Well, <laughs> you know, uh, Scarlet Witch and Vision had children in the comic books, so, you know. That's true. True. That's the same sort of thing. <laughs> it's apparently a thing that can happen. Don't, <laughs> don't think too much about it. You're brutal. Yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> So um, we go back to the Jeffrey's tube. The warhead is about to like explode. Uh, Tuvok tells Seven, "We've got to seal off the section. It'll contain the blast." And Seven is there trying to calculate the exact temporal variance. And he's telling her, "We we have to go. We have to go." And she's she's really. L- staying behind because she's like we we won't get another opportunity like this i you know we have to figure this out and he's like all right i get it but you're disobeying an order um so to the point that they do not get out in time the warhead does explode and um we just see tuvok kind of throw his arm up and he shields seven um and that's that's how that scene ends. So they kind of leave us on a cliffhanger of what happens there. Um, so now it's day 65. Uh, and we have a captain's log with star date 51268.4, which is Sunday, May 5th, 2374 at about 853 in the morning. Um, Janeway says in her log that, uh, The replicators have been badly damaged. Everybody's having emergency rations only. Um, There's decks that are uninhabitable. The crew is doubling up. Um, So tensions are running high. I mean, not not terribly unlike uh, lockdown for us, right? Like, stuck in your house. You can't go out anywhere. Maybe stuck with people that you don't always want to be with. And... uh, Emergency rations, you got to wait online to get to the grocery store. I mean, we could kind of relate a little bit to what's going on here with with, with Voyager. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty topical. <laughs> you know, yeah. like uh, having to make the tough decisions, like mm-hmm. the, the, the gift that it gives her, like, oh, that's, that's a hypospray. You know, like, I, I don't need that. I, I need to think more practically right now. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, you know, in her log, she does say that, you know, what's important is that we are all together. Uh, back on the bridge, um, we do get that scene that Steve just alluded to, that um, Janeway is trying to repair something. Chakotay tells her hap- happy birthday, and she says, happy what? Like, she has no idea what's going on. And, <laughs> excuse me, he says, well, it's, it's, it's May 20th, right? And she says, oh, I thought we were still in April. Um, 
and he gives her this really beautiful now that's gift. Definitely uh-huh. something we can relate to. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. We're living on COVID time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. There, there have been many a days I've woken up and been like, "What day is this? Is this Tuesday?" Or is oh, this I've had Sunday? Full, full I don't know. Arguments with people. Like, no, it's definitely Wednesday right now. Like, dude, it's, it's Thursday. I'm telling you it's Wednesday because, and then I, like, had to go look something up. Like, okay, okay, you, you got it. You're right. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, he gives her this replica of a chronometer worn by Captain Cray. Um, and he tells her this story of this captain who... His ship was hit by a typhoon. Everyone thought that the ship was lost and the crew was dead. That eight months later, the ship came limping back into port. Um, Like, there was almost nothing left of it, but this captain got his crew home. And uh, it's a very sweet, thoughtful gift um, that he gives her because, obviously, it's very symbolic for voyager's uh situation um and you know she kind of admires it for a little bit and and uh she says um you know i i can't uh i can't accept this you should recycle it and he's like you know i made this you know i i replicated this ages ago um mm-hmm. you know lo- long before this and uh she's like you know that that represents um that 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 represents a, a a pair of boots for for somebody a hypo spray a meal i can't i can't take this and just you know take the selfish gift like you, you you should just recycle it and um he he really um he really is you know he's hurt he's he's definitely mm-hmm. hurt uh and actually, the story of Captain Cray is based on a real ship. The HMS Calliope um, was part of the Royal Navy of the United Kingdom. And uh, it did actually survive a cyclone and that everybody thought had uh, basically killed it or destroyed it. Um, but it did uh, it did make its way home. So it is it is uh, somewhat based in history there of a real event. Um mm-hmm. So, so yeah. since I started this, I hadn't watched any of the seasons before this because uh, so far all of our Voyager episodes were going to be from this season. And then I saw this and I'm like, I'm like, I immediately shipped to go to Janeway oh. after that. I'm like, oh, I want them together. And then I was like, I'm going to have to watch so much more to know anything. Anyway, mm, so that am, may be ridiculous. I am a big Chakotay Janeway shipper. I am a okay. huge Chakotay Janeway shipper. Um, okay, so I feel better about that then. Yes, like it's not. They and they completely... had some. They had some episodes where they really oh. came close. Um, yeah, I don't want to spoil anything for you because you haven't seen a lot oh. of Voyager. Also, uh, he's got like the scruff stuff going on, so he's like the rugged Chakotay. I know. Here, it's, you know. I know. Mm-hmm. I am a fan yeah. of the stuff. I, I'm a, I am yeah, a it was, lover. <laughs> it was it was it was good. It was way better than that Caesar haircut and that 
other episodes. Indeed. <laughs> way better. <laughs> way, way better. <laughs> um, yeah, th- this is definitely a very, he's trying to be sweet, and she's like, nope, recycle it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, yes, she is being practical. Yes, she is making a tough decision here. She is putting her crew first. Um, but he's just so, like, he's just like a puppy. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll just go back home and cry. Like, he's just, <laughs> he's heartbroken. <laughs> um, we do, n- now we go to Tuvok's quarters. We see him uh, shaving with, uh, I'm guessing that's a Vulcan blade of some kind. Um he is staring in the mirror as he's shaving. He cuts himself, but then um, the scene very quickly shows us that Tuvok is blind. He's lost his vision. Um, you know, he's he's reaching for a towel. He's he's feeling for the towel. Um, so obviously, these are the effects of the explosion on Tuvok, um, which is which is very. It was sad to see that that he had lost his vision. But, you know, he's still alive, so that's obviously uh, important and a good thing. I was, I, you know, uh, when I first watched this, I was uh, sort of comparing, like, who, whose jobs sort of correspond to, like, TNG jobs. And so it was like, I had the thought of, like, went from Morph to Jordy. <laughs> Yeah, he went from Morph to Jordy. Now. I'm sorry, that's terrible. That's terrible. I made a blind joke. Um but, you know. but yeah, because he's so, he's like the security guy, mm-hmm. right? Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah he's um, the chief of security for the ship. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, and I, that's really what made me think of it. And then it made me laugh because I'm like, oh, and now he's blind. So now he's like Jordy. And then I'm like, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> well, I, I, I kind of had that same thought, too. I'm like, just give him a visor like Jordy has. Right. But, um, well, you know, yeah. there might be something ridiculous to replicate. True. <laughs> um, so Seven uh, comes to his quarters. She is clearly like a um, she's like his his guide, his his assistant or his uh, almost like his aide at this point. So uh, she uh, tells him that they're going to make their security rounds and then she wants to take him to deflector control because she had an an idea for how to modify the deflector dish to bring this temporal shielding they've been trying to get working online. Um, and so Tuvok says, no, let's go right to defector control and let's, let's bring those shields online. And uh, she tells him, she sees that he's cut himself. She says, uh, you are, you are damaged. <laughs> and then, she says, you know, I've offered to help you, you know, with your grooming. And and he says, no, there's some things like I have to do myself. And and this is another really emotionally heavy scene because you know that Tuvok is struggling to maintain his independence and his dignity. And you but you can clearly see that Seven feels guilty. She feels indebted to him because she kind of held them up from escaping that explosion because she wanted to get that, you know, that uh, time variance thing. And um, 
it's another it's it's a very subtle scene, but I really like how the emotions play out here uh between the two of them in this scene. Uh, how do you feel about how well Tim Russ did as a blind person? Um I mean I thought he did okay. Okay. Um I, do I think it's a, a, a Academy Award performance? No. But I think he did okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you're not petitioning for an Emmy like a back, back <laughs> Emmy. Or no, anything. no, I'm not. I, I'm not writing into the Emmys to be like, you know, to whom it may concern. No, I'm. I'm. Uh, he no. was robbed. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys watch American Horror Story? I I, I don't. No, he was in. I, he, he I've was seen in a, some of the scenes. He was in a couple of scenes from the uh, the latest uh, season. Oh, I haven't seen that. Was yeah. he blind in that too? <laughs> he was a serial. He was a serial killer. So. Oh wow! Whoa! Yeah, yeah, it was interesting. Um, like Cindy, uh, my roommate is uh, is legally blind. I, some people have heard this kind of story before, uh, other things. But so she always uh, comments on how people act as blind people, and she did not watch this episode with me, so I don't have any of her. Uh, Remarks, wow. but uh, I do know that when we watched Daredevil, she was like, "He needs to learn how to read Braille." <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Cindy's expert opinion here to yeah, weigh definitely. in on this, on this question. Well, hopefully we we'll get we'll we'll, we'll, we'll we'll get Cindy's opinion. Hopefully she'll she'll share it with us in in the <laughs> interim between the episodes. I'll I'll uh I'll show her the the scenes. Yeah. Okay, good. I'll let her check it out. <laughs> so, as Seven and Tuvok are walking down the corridor, they have, like, this really interesting conversation um, about basically what it's like to be who they are and live among all of these emotional creatures. So, of course, Tuvok, being a Vulcan, he suppresses his feelings and he's devoted to logic. And Seven, in, in a lot of ways, being an ex-Borg, um is very logical and very dispassionate herself. So in a, in a lot of ways, she is kind of like a Vulcan uh, in that sense. So they they do kind of have a, a interesting conversation where Seven tells him about her roommate, basically, who, you know, she leaves her stuff on the floor and um, she finds it difficult to live with just like one other person when as a Borg, she used to live with like thousands of drones but the Borg drones don't leave their underwear laying around on the floor. Like, that's just not what they do. But apparently that's what her roommate does and leaves her stuff all over the floor. Um. <laughs> it, it reminds me from, uh, this is a very deep cut, but one of my favorite movies is The Princess Bride. And, oh, sure. And uh, the scene where uh, the man in black is fighting Andre the Giant, and, and he's, like, having a hard time with him. He's like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, fighting. I just realized how, why I'm having so much trouble with you. I'm used to fighting 20 people, and mm-hmm. the techniques are different mm-hmm. than fighting just one person. And it reminded me of that, like, of her mm-hmm. saying, you know, I'm used to living with a thousand people, but living with one person, there's different challenges. So, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I always like to, to slip the Princess Bride into conversations. So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's not a um, bad thing to slip into a mm-hmm. conversation, though, so that's good. <laughs> My mom always liked me to do my Indigo Montoya impression 
is not good, but she just laughs. She would laugh. So I'd always do it for her. Anyway, I know I was thinking about how <laughs> I'm not, I was like, notice how I keep going. I'm not going to do it. Um, oh, man. <laughs> I like how, you know, she's just like, oh, well, uh, I've lived with thousands of people, but they don't have things, boards, you know, they all, they, they, they basically sleep in cubby holes. They don't have stuff. They don't True. have feelings. They don't have hobbies. They don't have anything. And then she gets stuck with somebody who has lots of emotions and bad habits and all that kind of stuff. I mean, the Borg's bad habit is, you know, assimilating people. <laughs> and their hobby, I guess, you know. Bad habits and a hobby. <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, I don't know, assimilate cultures. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We like to take over people. You know. Electronics in their face. (laughs) I like to shoot the old tubules in the neck, you know. Good time. What you said, boring stuff is like, what you thinking about? Oh, just boring stuff. Just boring stuff. I see where I'm going off the rails. Um, Like board stuff. stuff. That's great. Um, So, so after she tells him, like, her sort of, this is my difficult emotional person I have to live with, here comes Neelix, who, I'm sorry, Neelix is the Jar Jar Binks of the Star Trek universe. I do not like this character. Uh, very, very rarely do I enjoy a Neelix story. <laughs> I love that you wrote, she put in the notes, shows up to do his best Jar Jar Pink's impression. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was perfect. <laughs> it's, yeah, I'm just, I'm not a Neelix fan. He's got long ears, he's got like the mohawk, you know, whatever. Exactly. Yeah, I'm just not a Neelix fan, and, uh, I really do think he's the Jar Jar Banks of the Star Trek universe, personally. Uh, I like how they tried to make him, like, the Guinan. You know what I mean? Because he's yeah. the cook, and that's where you go, and he's kind of talking. And he's supposed to be the <laughs> voice of reason, and like, well, what about this perspective? And, yeah, I don't it's know. A, it's almost like he's made himself that, like the character himself. Like, that's true. he wants to give people... You know, his thoughts and, you know, because people are saying, but people actually go to Guinan to ask Kurt what she thinks. That's true. The other people just come there to get something to eat and it's unsolicited. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Like, well, if you, you want to hear my opinion. And even if you don't want to hear it, here it is. <laughs> here it is. You're going to hear it. Yeah. The yeah. Whole Ke- him and Kess storylines from the early seasons. Oh, man. He's, that he's was rough. Very, yes, in the in the early seasons with him and Kess, I thought that there was a lot of really problematic stuff of him as supposed to be her partner, right? He's supposed to be her love interest. Um, I thought that the way he acted and the way he treated her, there were a lot of things that were very problematic and very gaslighting about emotionally abusive relationships. And I just never liked the character after that. And towards the end, they did make him, they did try to make him, as you said, Stephen, like a Guinan type character. But at that point, I, I don't know. I just wasn't, I wasn't buying it as that much character growth. So, yeah. 
I agree. Just not yeah. not a Neelix fan. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he he shows up and he's like, "What do you want the intruder alert to sound like?" And and it's like he's giving him these like options and and uh, he's t- uh, t- Tuvok tells him just you know intruder alert is fine. And he's like, "Oh yeah, go with the classic." And then he leaves, and Tuvok is like, "And you think you got problems? Like that's that's just such a great Tuvok he, line. So dry. He's like the screech of this show. Yes, like, oh my not gosh. like not like yes. the the smart part, but the, but the obnoxious part. That is an excellent. That is an excellent comparison. I'm so glad you said that. That is that is spot on." He's the screech. And somehow I brought up Saved by the Bell again. Well, you know, it's one of those shows that comes up. <laughs> yeah, it's Princess another Bride problematic Saved show. Yeah. Star so, Wars is usually what I always bring up. <laughs> so uh, Chakotay announces they're being attacked. Tuvok tells Seven to go to deflector control um, and bring the new shields online. He says we'll test them in battle. Uh, we're on the bridge now, and I mean, the bridge just looks like, the bridge looks terrible. Like, (laughs) everything's falling apart, there's no lights, everyone is, like, dirty, they haven't showered, you know, I mean, they are literally just hanging on by, like, a thread here. Um, and, and it's, so, so Tupac makes it to the bridge, and he engages he uh, a tactile display and i thought that this was actually pretty neat that tubak had lost his vision but he was still going to work and that the ship itself or that the computer starfleet fought ahead to allow the computer to offer a tactile option for if somebody couldn't see if somebody so i i thought that was actually very inclusive and a really neat thing that the computer could offer a tactile display so he could still do his job even though he he can't see anything so i i don't know that just that that just struck me as a really cool thing yeah i definitely applaud starfleet for their accommodations yes I people. do too. You know. I mean, was that a combination? Was it just necessary? You know, I mean, they have very few people left. Tuvok is a very intelligent, very useful officer, and they mm-hmm. need him to, to to survive, so they had to adapt. True, that's true. Or do but you think that was already built in? I think that that was built in. Oh, okay. I think. I mean, th- 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 that's just my opinion. Yeah, I, I feel mean, like I, that too. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I guess like, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. I'm saying I guess it wouldn't take much, like you said, to already built into where like the interface like raises and you can feel it, you know, and like it, while they're designing the ship, but like on the fly while they can barely feed themselves, for them to 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 change that to, to make it like a braille interface, you're probably right. That was probably done at the factory, as they say. Mm. I, I feel like Starfleet would be inclusive to that, like, because the Federation spans so many different creatures and life forms, and we know we've met um, creatures that, like, need a different, um, they need a different um, air to breathe. So, like, right. you know, Starfleet allows them to 
of course, still join, you know, Starfleet, but, you know, they have special accommodations. They have a, a, a thing that they wear that, you know, spits the air that they can breathe right in their face. Uh, that's a terrible thing I just said. But, uh, no, but it, we all know what you're talking about, that blue yeah, guy, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. I think that looks a little bit like a fish. I think they're called be- be- Benzites. I don't know. I'm getting off track again. So, <laughs> um, uh, so they're they're trying to survive this an- an- another attack. Seven finally brings the new deflector online, and the temporal shields finally work. Voyager is able to uh, repel these these temporal torpedoes. So. Janeway, you know, I, I kind of love that she just gets on the, she like gets on the horn and she's like, oh, you noticed we have, uh, we have new shielding now. So we can, you know, we can withstand your attacks. And now she says, you know, we're going through their space, whether they like it or not. And, um, you know, here we see like this over the top arrogance kind of kicking in here, but she now, you know, now that she's got this temporal shielding, she is determined just to make her way or to make the ship's way through Krenum space and get to the other side. Um, so back on the Krenum time ship, time ship, they're at the Garriner home world and they are preparing to completely erase the species because they're still trying to fix whatever they're trying to fix. Um, they fire the weapon. This temporal wave is sent out again and once again, it's headed right for Voyager, but this time, Voyager has temporal shields. So when the wave hits them, it changes everything around them, but Voyager remains the same. So now things are different because this Krenum ship that was attacking them, well, now it's just been reduced to a pre-warp ship, and... um you know, J- Janeway's like, I want to know wh- why. I, you know, all of a sudden this Krenum Imperium is gone. I want to know what happened to them and uh, I want to know why. So she goes to the Astrometrics lab to try to figure out what happened. And meanwhile, the Krenum time ship has figured out that its Voyager with their temporal shields has thrown off their calculations. And Anorax is like, let's go to Voyager. I got to figure out what's going on. So things are about to happen. Worlds are about to collide here um, as Anorax and Janeway are about to meet. Um, We get a nice scene here in Astrometrics, and we're at day 70 now of the Year of Hell. Um, They're basically analyzing that section of space before and after the wave. The Imperium is, like, reduced to just a few planets. And um, Seven tracks the wave back to the Garner homeworld. And Janeway says, yeah, we passed them like three weeks ago. And now that planet is uninhabited. They have been erased from history. And so Janeway's like... Mm -hmm." It's almost like when you're driving on the the highway, uh, like a stretch of highway where there's not much around. And you're like, didn't we just pass this exit? Mm-hmm. It's almost yeah. like that, except it's for a bit like that. Yep, I, I agree. Except for you know, it's more serious because they really did just pass them, and now there's no one there. <laughs> yeah. No, and it's it is interesting how um, 
basically, you know, Janeway's like, this is clearly some kind of temporal time travel thing. The Krenim are the only ones who have temporal weapons. Why would they use a weapon on them that would, you know, damage their own empire? Like, why would they do that? And so she's, she's still trying to piece everything together. She has limited information. Um, so now finally we get a face-to-face meeting with Anorax and uh, Janeway. Uh, Anorax abducts uh, Tom and Chakotay, and uh, he wants to analyze them further. And uh, him and Janeway have a, a conversation She's asking him, like, you know, this, like, weird stuff happening here. Like, what's, how come your Imperium doesn't exist anymore? And he's like, it's not your concern. I have a mission. Keeping me from my mission. And she's like, oh, so it's you. You're the, you're the guy who's doing all this stuff. Um, so they fire on Voyager with their weapon. They're trying to erase them from history. They've still got their temporal shielding up, though. So they, in a last-ditch effort to escape, they jump to warp 7 uh, because they can outrun the ship, basically. And um, they have to figure out a way to come back for Tom and Chakotay, but they had to escape. And so um, this is a pretty... This is another life death situation that you, that you were talking about, Steve. How like there's no there's no real win in this option because she jumps to warp, a bunch of the ship blows up, she stays there, and they get erased from history. Like there's no nobody wins in this in this situation. And you can imagine like with the last four years, like traveling through just completely uncharted, unknown places. How many of those situations like really would have come up? And it, like I said a hundred times already, it's just nice to see them in these lose-lose situations because it is reality, and it's it's nice to see them like some true adversity that like actually has like real real big stakes. So, um, like I said, I really wish this could have gone on for many episodes, but uh, we got what we got, and I'm glad we got that at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, back um, to you saying before yeah. that it was uh, possibly going to be like a season arc. I do like that idea, and I think that would have been... I probably would be more receptive to Chakotay's idea of everybody splitting up, because then, like you were saying, it would go, you know, here we're with Janeway's group, here with his group, you know, whoever, like that. That's kind of cool, but... Um, yeah, I definitely preferred her way for this. And, and like you said, she is uh, definitely did have a bad... Uh, that's not the word I was looking for. She had a hard decision to make mm-hmm. with, all, it, with all this. And everybody would you know, would have loved to look forward to, to watching, uh, listening to Rebecca talk about her favorite episode, uh, which would be the Neelix episode in that <laughs> thing where Neelix was off on an adventure. And it was just like the slapstick so comedy in, episode. Would he be in charge of like a <laughs> an away ship or whatever? Like, yeah, it would just be him and probably I don't know who would you and pair some him vegetables. with. Yeah, and some vegetables. Some vegetables. <laughs> just him, him talk to, talking to his Talaxian spices. Yeah, and it's like he just goes off to like random worlds and like tries to cook for them. Oh my goodness. <laughs> 
Like he could become the traveling chef, like you know the adventures yeah. of Felix, the traveling chef. Yeah, and then every single like segment ends up with them kicking him off of their planet. <laughs> he has to go to the next planet. Like, <laughs> like man, that guy's got some great knife skills, but he is annoyed. <laughs> what did Seven of Nine say? When was it in this part one or part two when Neelix is trying to cook up some like sustenance? With that part two. Oh, <laughs> what did she say? She said, this is offensive. <laughs> the taste is offensive. This is offensive. Oh. <laughs> Which is hilarious because oh, when she starts eating human food or, or food food, right. she's just like, the, she's basically telling the way it tastes doesn't matter. And <laughs> that's in that one. And she's just like, it's offensive. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Beautiful. Oh, man. Well, we're coming to the last day of this episode, day 73. Janeway is meeting with the crew in the mess hall. So she tells them more than half the ship has been destroyed. There are decks that are uninhabitable. Life support is almost gone. And the Voyager cannot sustain her crew. And... So basically they've come to the point where she has to she has to go with with Chakotay's plan because she says if asking you to stay would be asking you to die. So she gives the order for the crew to evacuate the ship in the escape pods, set a course for the Alpha Quadrant and along the way um to try to secure faster ships try to make allies, try to basically, you know, make powerful friends that can protect them and help them along the way. She says that the senior staff will stay on board Voyager as long as possible and try to rescue Tom and Chakotay. And uh, this is actually a really touching moment. Like, you could see her fighting back emotions. Like, she, she wants to cry that she's breaking up the family. Um, but she has to stay strong for her crew. So, you know, she's really trying her best to stay strong. And she says, you know, when when we find each other again, and she says, and we will find each other again. You know, I expect you to all be in one piece and you have some really interesting stories to tell. And um, so it's, um, yeah, it's a really... Kind of, it's a sad ending to this first part of the episode. I mean, it's almost like watching Avengers in, uh, in Infinity War, and you go, "What? That's the end? What are you talking yeah, about?" Definitely. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so that's that's our episode, and we have to wait until next time to find out what happened. Oh my! In- what a cliffhanger! What a cliffhanger! Who knows what's gonna happen? Wait, is this Picard Cat's first ever cliffhanger? Um, oh. I, I don't think so because we, we did cover Best of Both Worlds part two. Oh, yeah, that's right. And we best, covered like the best cliffhanger. Best uh, TV cliffhanger of, like, ever. Pretty much. Yeah, definitely top three. Uh, oh, yeah, it's up there. But yeah, this is a. Uh, th- this episode ends on a real sad note with the crew splitting up and. Um, uh, we don't know what's happening with Tom and Chakotay and, you know, we had to catch up with them and that'll all happen in the next episode. 
when we come back together and we'll talk again about uh, Year of Hell Part 2, Steven will be back for that one, too, of course. So, yeah. Yeah. So that that was our episode, you guys. Well, I was thinking maybe it would be a different person for Part 2 instead of me, just like they had different directors for each episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you guys could have just a different person to come back on. No, and get the, no? okay. We like, we, we like consistency, you know. You, okay. You, you're on part one, you're on part two. That's the way it works. All right, well, then I'll be back then. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, Steve, is there anything you want to plug? Any, any place that if people would like to talk to you more about Star Trek or other things where they can find you on the interwebs? Uh, the only thing that I have is my Instagram page where I do my comic book stuff, and that handle is at Minor Keys Comics. And uh, yeah, I just uh, you can always message me on there, and I'm pretty talkative and friendly. Uh, I, I have plenty of time to sit around uh, during this time and, and, and chat about comics or Star Trek or anything that you want. So just message me. Nice. All right, everybody. Cool. If you have comic stuff or Star Trek stuff, Steve is your guy. Talk That's to right. Him mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you mentioned uh, Into the Spider Verse uh, earlier. Um, mm-hmm. Miles Morales' first appearance has gone nuclear, so everybody's fighting to find that issue right now. So if anybody's listening, oh, wow. looking to sell uh, Ultimate Fallout Number Four, just contact me at Minor Keys <laughs> Comics. I'll be I'll be happy to to, to send you some money over. <laughs> Nice. Okay. Yeah. That's very cool. Well, I, I would imagine that's because Miles Morales is in the new P- PS5 Spider-Man game. Yeah, it started like five mm-hmm. or six days before that on this 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 real steady climb, mm-hmm. and then it, it almost was right before the reveal. So obviously somebody maybe had knew, knew something, but it had already mm-hmm. hit uh, the 9.8, which is like the highest graded uh, that you can get on the book. Had already hit a thousand dollars by then. And um, by the time the announcement came out, the record was set. I think yesterday the day before at 1450. So 1450 is what the highest sale is. And that book was going for wow. about 500 dollars two weeks ago. Wow. So it just yeah it went nuts. So everybody's scrambling to try to get get a hold of that book. So I'm one of them, of course. <laughs> so and and there's just one last thing uh, before we say goodnight. Um, one of our listeners um, did message me, uh, or she messaged uh, the uh, our our Facebook page, Picardcast, um, with a slight correction, which I'm happy to uh, correct. I'm happy to apply awesome. this and correct myself. So, in a previous episode, um, apparently we were talking about the actor who's going to be playing Boba Fett. I think that's that that was the context, and I said that he was. Um, Maori as his um, cultural background. Well, our listener Kay, very very kindly, very nicely in the way that we like to be corrected, messaged me and said uh, that she is uh, from New Zealand and, or she lives in New Zealand excuse me, and that it is pronounced Maori. Not the way I said it, so it's, the correct pronunciation is Maori. I hope I said that one right. If not, Kay yes. will let me know. But um, I think that's right. Yes, th- thank you for that. I know I, I know I've said it wrong too because, uh, you know, it was in the notes, and I'm pretty sure I've read it. Yeah, I I'm definitely guilty of saying it wrong for a long time. So, uh, thank you, Kay, for that correction. We appreciate that. So definitely, also, if we also 
Kay is really awesome. Yes, she is. We've had some nice conversations online. She's a lovely person. We have some great listeners. We do. We do. And thank you for that correction. I appreciate that. And Mm -hmm. so I'll do my best next time we talk about somebody uh, who's from there. I will do my best to remember to say it's Maori and not the other way, which is the wrong way. So, yes, thank you for that correction, Kay. We we, we appreciate that. And, Um, Kay, can we come visit? Because... I want to go to New Zealand. <laughs> right? Very I do, badly. too. Yeah. I, want to, I want to see the <laughs> Hobbit. I want to see the Shire. Is there any yes. place in the budget for Picard cast for the host and the guest to, to, to take a trip, to field trip to, <laughs> the Picard to New Zealand? The Picard cast budget consists of a button and two nickels. I don't know what budget <laughs> you're talking about. That's all we got. <laughs> well, we need to get new sponsors. <laughs> All I'm got is the button. Got the button. I got the nickels. That's it. <laughs> I mean, we could get Air New Zealand to be our sponsor. We had to split up the fortune and so make that it. nobody could steal it all. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. You never put all your eggs in one basket. No, it's <laughs> one of those nickels wouldn't. Because then I think we have a problem. <laughs> we gotta get a sponsor. Yes, please, Air Ooh. New Zealand, sponsor us because we want to go to New Zealand. Thank you. Right. Anyway. It looks beautiful. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening to Picard Cast. Thank you for listening to Personal Logs. Uh, thank you, Stephen. We're going to talk to you again real soon for part two. Um, and thanks to you, Brooke. Every week, you're always here with me recording and, and being my, my favorite best co-host ever. Thank you so much. <laughs> Aw, that means a lot. Well, I, I mean it. <laughs> you have a lot of co-hosts. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, until we talk to you next time, keep boldly going where no one has gone before. See ya. The Cardcast is hosted by Rebecca and Brooke. You can find us at facebook.com slash picardcast, on twitter.com at thepicardcast, or email us at picardcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and boldly go where no one has gone before.